to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. Today is Westminster Wednesday, and I need to apologize for posting this episode a little bit later. For the handful of listeners that aren't in Conway, Arkansas, you don't know that earlier this week we got about eight inches of snow. It is currently still snowing, and it's freezing, and I spent all day yesterday dealing with frozen pipes, and so my schedule is all thrown off, but I wanted to go ahead and post this episode as well. So I'm working from home today, so also apologies if the sound quality isn't as good. I don't have my fancy mic that I stole from my wife that I normally use, and I'm just using my computer. So with that said, I want to remind us also of the giveaway that's going on in celebration of our upcoming 100th episode. We're giving away a copy of the New Bible Commentary. It's an absolutely incredible commentary on the entire Bible written by top scholars in their field, that scholars that believe the Bible as the Word of God. And InterVarsity Press graciously gave us a copy of this incredible book to give away. So thanks to InterVarsity Press. Not only is this a great resource that they produce, but there are countless other incredible resources that you can find from IVP. A whole host of incredible studies on biblical theology, on Old Testament and New Testament background, all kinds of great resources that you can check out there. So go to our Facebook page or our Twitter feed. There's a number of places where you can find the giveaway and you click on the link and then you can share it and that automatically enters you to win the giveaway. You can enter a bunch of times. Some people have entered multiple, multiple times and that's exciting. So we'll see who wins this incredible commentary. It will certainly be a blessing to you. Now today, as I said, is Westminster Wednesday, and we've made our way up to Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, paragraph 3. So let me pray for us, and then I'll read it, and then we'll jump in and, and start working through in the time that we have this incredible doctrine. Father, we thank you for your word. Above all, we thank you that it teaches us who you are, that you have revealed yourself to us as the triune God who redeems us, who saves us, who is sovereign over all creation. We ask that you would strengthen us to believe your word, and that as we look at this confession this morning that summarizes the teaching, Father, that you would help us to receive what your word teaches by faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, paragraph 3, says this, By the decree of God... For the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels are predestined unto everlasting life, and others foreordained to everlasting death. Now, as we dive into this, we are at kind of one of the the key doctrines of Reformed theology. Some people would say that the sovereignty of God in salvation is the heart of Reformed theology, but uh, that's a little bit simplistic, though, though it is one of the key doctrines. It's also, though, an incredibly difficult doctrine for us to accept. And we're going to talk a little bit about why that is and what we do with that. But first, I want to remind us, as we read this section and as we think about this doctrine of the sovereignty of God in salvation, and as it says, his predestining some to everlasting life and foreordaining others to to everlasting death. It's important that we read and and process and think about Westminster Confession of 3, paragraph 3, 
not just on its own in the abstract as this singular point of theology, but that we think about it and read this paragraph in the context of everything else that has been said in the confession and the reminders that God hasn't undone the reality of second causes, reading it even in the broader framework and context of the confession that reminds us that man has free will, but that will is bound by our nature. And, and, and so it's important that we do this because what we see here is that our theology does have tension in it, that God is presented as absolutely sovereign even over salvation, and man is presented as responsible because of the free choices that he makes to rebel against God. So when we outline this particular doctrine that we find in Westminster Confession of Faith 3.3, we're not relieving that tension. Many people have tried to, and, and inevitably, the, the only way to relieve this tension is either to put all your chips in the basket of the absolute sovereignty of God and make man some kind of robot, or to put all your chips in the basket of free will and, and make God kind of an impotent Lord. And neither of those, neither of those options, neither of those solutions really helps us deal with what the Bible actually says. So it's okay if we hear this doctrine and it creates tension in our theology. We, we Part of living by faith is living with that tension and recognizing that we don't have to have everything absolutely figured out. And in fact, as the Bible says, there are things that belong to God, deep things that belong to God that we won't know, we won't understand. And so we don't need to try to, to live in this world where our theology is kind of perfectly reconcilable at every point. There's going to be tension and that's okay. So the question though is, as we admit the difficulty of this doctrine, it's important for us to think about why is this doctrine difficult? And when we look at the Bible, this doctrine isn't difficult because it's not proven clearly from Scripture. That's not the difficulty with this doctrine of the sovereignty of God and salvation. It's abundantly proven in Scripture. We're going to read just two passages here in a minute, Ephesians 1 and Romans 9. They're kind of the go-to passages, but they are by no means the only passages where we see the, the sovereignty of God in the salvation of man. They're just two of the, the more clear statements. So the difficulty of this doctrine isn't proving it from Scripture. The difficulty of this doctrine of God's sovereignty and salvation is our submitting to it. See, when we come up against this doctrine, when we come up against the idea that God is sovereign, that as the confession says, he has predestinated some unto everlasting life, others foreordained to everlasting death, this crawls all over our ideas of, of autonomy. It, it, it just absolutely flies in the face of thinking of ourselves the way we typically do, the way we, I would argue, naturally do. That, that we are, to quote the, the poet, we are the masters of our fate. And that's the problem with this doctrine. That's the difficulty of this doctrine. It's not that it's hard to prove from Scripture. 
It's really, at the end of the day, just that we don't like it. It's not a comfortable doctrine. I wholeheartedly affirm it. I think it is a found abundantly in Scripture. I think it is an inescapable biblical doctrine. And I like it because it's true about God. But there's something in me that, that even as someone who accepts this doctrine, who believes it, who, who thinks it is taught absolutely everywhere in Scripture, it still just grates against me. And that's why this doctrine is so difficult for us to accept. And we would do good to admit that. Because when we, when we don't admit that and we try to, to make it something else, we really start just making a mess of the whole situation. So let me read a couple of passages where we see these ideas taught clearly in Scripture. First, we're going to read Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. I'm going to read through verse 14. This is what Paul writes to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. If we flip over to Romans 9, and I'm not going to read all of this, but if we flip over to Romans 9, we, we read some, some very hard statements, picking up in verse 10. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? 
But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And he continues. So we see here the difficulty of this doctrine isn't whether or not it is taught in Scripture. But even as Paul had to deal with the same objections that we deal with today of these cries of, well, that's not fair. If, if that's true, how can he hold me accountable? See, there's nothing new under the sun. Our objections aren't new. Our objections, like those that Paul was dealing with in his letter to the Romans, have to do with us struggling to accept that God is, in fact, the creator, and we merely are the creatures, and that he does actually have every prerogative to do as he wills. And so when we see that, all of a sudden, we recognize that, okay, well, that's true. He is the God of all creation. He is the sovereign. And his grace becomes that much sweeter because we realize the depth of his grace. There was nothing obligating him to show grace to anyone. It was only his merciful will toward any. And so we don't hold this doctrine in arrogance as if somehow we were predestined because we were so good. No, no, no. This teaches us to give glory to God because he has shown abundant grace to all whom he desires. It's really a reminder that we have no standing before God apart from his grace. And so this doctrine should humble us and teach us to worship him as the one who in his sovereignty has given grace to us. Might we learn to do that. Amen. Mm -hmm.